Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field, to the places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So whatever ambient noises you may hear in the background as we have our conversation, keep in mind, these are some of the same ambient noises that may be going on in those places where things change for you. I'm coming to you from the balcony of my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, considered by some to be the hottest city in America that may at some point actually move inside because it's not actually exactly the hottest day out here today. But at any rate, we're going to be covering a topic that comes up every so often. I think it's been about a year or so since we've done a variation of this on our show. It's about buying a business without personal financial risk. And what you're going to discover is a concise and simple way where we're going to demystify the world of business acquisition for the average person who dreams of becoming a business owner, but fears the unknown challenges and risks. The risk of, do I put my money on the line? The challenge of, where do I get money to put on the line? And we're going to be speaking with somebody who has a lot of experience with this. His name is Jonathan Jay, and he is the founder of Dealmakers, which is a very, uh, dealmakers.co.uk is the website, and it's all about increasing your business acquisition skills. Let me just tell you a little bit about him, and then he's going to share some of the rest of it in his biography. He's been an entrepreneur for a little bit over 30 years. During the pandemic, he made 48 business acquisitions to create the fourth largest group in this sector in under three years. And among these is a very notable deal where he bought a 5 million pound annual revenue digital marketing company from its private equity owner for a dollar, or excuse me, a pound rather, a pound, and selling it for 1.3 million pounds just 11 months later. Now, if that's not return on investment, I don't know what it is. In addition, he's an advocate of a healthy work-life balance suffering mental and physical burnout, and believes you can achieve success without business taking over your life because you don't want to be suffering mental and physical burnout. And what he does now is he helps people buy businesses and helps them avoid the expensive mistakes. And as he says, he's made them all. And candidly, that's part of why I'm a podcast host. I share some of my mistakes in the hopes that you don't have to make them and you get to have the learning experience by joining beside me. With that, Jonathan Jay, come on in. The weather's fine. What a fantastic introduction. Thank you, Adam. I am absolutely not worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show uh, with this level of accomplishment. So 
what we want to do here, and I know there are a number of points you want to cover, and I, I'm curious about a few things on my own, as I think a few of our listeners may be as well. Let's take a step back. I read off your official bios you just heard, and tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today. Sure. Serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You thought I was going to go without getting my tagline in there. Ha! <laughs> okay, so it all started uh, in 1999. I owned a publishing business, a magazine publishing business. It was a business that I'd started from scratch. I'd been um, operating this business for about two and a half years, going uh-huh. into the office every day thinking about it all the time, working at weekends. And then two and a half years after I started it, I was approached by someone who wanted to buy it. And I was very flattered, as most business owners are, when someone wants to buy their business. And uh, the timing was perfect for me because I wanted to do something new. And it it wasn't a great business, to be honest. I made a a little bit of money one month. I made a bit of a loss the next month. It kind of went up and down, up and down. It was very unpredictable. But I made more money the day I sold the business than I'd ever made in the two and a half years that I'd owned the business combined. Wow. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. it was an opener because I realized then that in actual fact, yeah, you know, we all like to be paid for the work that we do, and yeah, you know, if you're in business, the, the the money gives you the 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 reward and the freedom and the options. But I got more reward, freedom, and options when I sold it, and it was no longer mine than it was while I was turning up at the office six days a week, and that was an eye opener. Wow! So I'm going to repeat that just because I'm needing to have it soak in for myself. You made more money the day you sold the business than you ever did through, during the sum total of all those years working those six-day weeks. Correct. Correct. You know, that's that, 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 that that's interesting. Now, I live the laptop lifestyle. My business has very few physical assets. And, uh, and what I mostly do is work with entrepreneurs to launch their podcasts as their key networking, client attraction, and celebrity expert branding tool. So I actually had a valuation done in my business thinking, oh, this will be a joke. And they and I've been told that it's probably worth about eh, plus or minus thirty thousand dollars. And I'm thinking, how? It's it has three laptops. How is that worth thirty thousand dollars? <laughs> it's the years of legacy of my websites being online, the fact that it has fully functional websites, technology, it has people who are already uh, have contractual relationships with the business where the new owner can take those over and pick up where I left off. And they can even go so far as to acquire the rights to my book, add themselves as a co-author, and add an additional chapter where they provide their analysis of what's contained inside Groundhog Days and Event Not a Business Strategy. And as far as the website, they could just go through and change my name to theirs and have basically a turnkey business. So it's the idea that I've built a lot of assets that can be immediately deployed. Whereas if somebody was to build all that from scratch, you would probably spend between 40 and $50,000. So that's where they came up with the $30,000 number. And I was amazed by that. I make a lot more than $30,000, but I thought that I thought that if I, if I dropped, so did my business just like that, but no, 
nope, there's actual value to it. And that was a little bit eye-opening to me. It wasn't quite at the level of which you've done, which is quite interesting. But this actually leads to the first thing that I'm wondering about is how is it that buying a business is faster than starting a business from scratch, other than the obvious? And and the obvious being that you can walk straight into an operational functioning business. Yeah. You don't have to spend years building it up. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 yeah, instead of creating my own social network, I stop at Home Depot, pick up a sink and just stroll in. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, it costs it costs me forty four billion dollars USD, but I can do it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, so, so this is so. So yeah. So uh, when you buy a business, you're getting the systems, you're getting the staff, you're getting the the IT, the website, the marketing. You're getting a product or service, but more importantly than anything, you're getting cash flow. So from day one. There's money coming into the business. And right. if it's a profitable business, there's money left over at the end of every month. And you should only ever buy a profitable business. Um, I, I I don't think you should ever look at a business that's what we call distressed, a business that's on a knife edge, a business that's about to fall over at any moment. You should only look at buying a solid profitable business that can produce positive cash flow for you every month and that positive cash flow after taxes is all yours and and that is that huge benefit where when you start a business you want to put your creative stamp on everything you don't mind working long days but you can only do that for a certain period of time without making any money and as we get older we probably become less inclined to want to do the startup phase. And we want to jump straight in there with a business that's making money from day one. Yeah. Um, now, it's funny. I mentioned uh, buying a sink and then just walking into the lobby and saying, this is mine, basically. Let that sink in was the pun. Uh, but uh, but that actually leads me to an interesting question. Uh, now, given the chaotic and rapidly changing nature of things, uh, as of the day we're having this conversation versus when somebody may be listening to this later as a replay, things may be a lot different. But I think about Elon Musk's Twitter acquisition. And uh, as soon as he walked in, he fired about three-fourths of the staff, I think it all came down to, and ended the free lunches and a lot of other things. So part of it is he looked around and he saw a lot of inefficiencies and Twitter employees had done themselves no favors by posting viral videos of how the place was basically a place to hang out, take naps and get massages. So uh, so we're starting with uh, looking at a business that already had been losing money because Twitter had not been really profitable for some time. And then creating a model where people can get verified for eight dollars and overseeing a fundamental shift in the entire advertiser advertisement and sponsorship structure in terms of where that revenue comes in. So what's there? So the reason I bring this up is what is there to say about that business is not necessarily profitable, but it's not necessarily distressed either, where an assessment of it through common sense shows it by shifting some things around, you could very likely make it profitable very quickly. Because I've heard of a school of thought that says, don't worry if the business doesn't have a perfect website because you're going to update that anyway. Don't worry if uh, 
they uh, they use this merchant account versus that merchant account because you can just put yours in. It'll be a little bit of work, but what you're essentially buying is not having to do 90% of the work to get it up and running. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me just uh, pick up on a couple of those points. So uh, there's no such thing as a perfect business. So you know what's perfect to one person isn't perfect to another. So going out there looking for a business that's perfect for you is uh, is is going to be a, a big job to find to find that. Right. So you find a business that's that's good. So it's that 80, 90 percent that you've just been talking about. So I, I absolutely agree with you. That's the that's the best uh, approach. Um, but when it comes to a, a business that's that's loss making and you, you've been using Twitter as an example, uh, you should only only ever buy a business that's making a loss if you know two things. Number one, why it's making a loss and number two, how to fix it. And if you know why it's making a loss, and you know how to fix it, then you, you stand a chance. Uh, yeah. I always say to the people that I that I coach and mentor on on buying a business, always make sure the first one's a successful, profitable, solid business. And then you can look at buying that distressed bargain, maybe two or three deals along the line, because then you've got a solid infrastructure, you know a lot more about that type of business, and you'll be able to plug that distressed business into your profitable one. Uh Uh, so, So that is the opportunity in the future, but buying a distressed business, and I've bought lots, <laughs> it's hard yeah. work. It's stressful work. It keeps you awake at night. You've got creditors knocking on the door. It's uh, it's, it's not the best place to be right. for a beginner. Right. So uh, there are so many, there's so much speculation about what's really going on with Twitter. And again, somebody listening to this six months from now may say, wow, did those guys have no clue? They didn't see that one coming because I think there are going to be some surprises. But one of the theories that I've seen going around for some time is what Elon was really looking to purchase was the subscriber data and the infrastructure that he can take and plug into something else. That it was never really his intention to just maybe tweak the logo and change the policies a little bit. He was looking to buy something, you know, buy Twitter, strip it down, basically wreck it, and then plug it into one of his other businesses or use it as the foundation for some other building. Uh, and that, and that's all together possible. And one of the theories behind that his actual goal was to purchase the user data was that he disputed the transaction when he determined that he had been misinformed on what percentage of the users were false or bots. Yes, I, I'd uh, I'd heard that too, and yeah. as as we know, uh, Elon Musk has a has a, a very solid history in uh, payment uh, services, online payment services. Yeah. So, um, pro, you know, creating a new payment service with the 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 huge number of users that Twitter has, yeah, could be an interest. And I think we're going to see a lot unfold over the next few months. Um, we're right at the beginning of that journey at the moment. Yeah. I think the idea I think the idea of selling the verification for eight dollars is partially a move to level the playing field among all the users. But I've heard him talk about various things like creating paid learning platforms, uh, becoming a competitor to TikTok. Uh, I mean, there's many, many different ways to, to monetize it. And I believe that six months to a year from now, we may be looking at a completely different company. You may still go to something called Twitter.com to log in but it's not going to be the same platform by any means. So in that case, he acquired the raw material with a plan to transform it into something else where his acquisition was basically acquiring an existing customer base while at the same time 
saving himself at least a portion of the development curve, where, I mean, for all we know, he's had other engineers already working on other things they're going to staple on any time now. So I think the point I bring that up is just to get your thoughts on the possibility that somebody could be looking to an, to acquire a business that fills a gap in something else that they're building, thinking, oh, I can take this thing, just knock yes. off these little features, and then plug it into mine, and it'll save me... I would have paid that. I would have paid developers that anyway. So it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, th- this is this is this is linked to what is the most common question I'm asked, which is what type of business should I buy? And if you already own a business, it makes complete sense to buy a business that is the same as yours, maybe in the same area, the same as yours in a different area, or a business that's complementary in some way, which is really what. I think you've just said so a business that 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 plugs in fills that fills that gap another service another product that can be offered to your existing customers all those cross selling opportunities if you aren't in business but you think that the idea of buying a business rather than starting one from scratch is a good one then I would always start with what you know uh you know, I I'm terrible with technology I I I struggle with the simplest uh, technological tasks yeah and if i even thought of buying a, a a technology business i wouldn't i wouldn't know where to start i wouldn't know whether it was good whether it was bad i wouldn't right. know if the margins were correct i wouldn't know whether this was a good business a terrible business i just wouldn't know so you need to work with what you know start off with what's inside your comfort zone what you're comfortable understanding and it can be a business with a very simple business model i mean commercial cleaning uh, has a very simple business model we can get our head around how a commercial cleaning company works pretty quickly uh, and actually commercial cleaning is a great business um but uh, you know stick to what you know that's that's always my best advice yeah uh Another thing I'm thinking of is, uh, this is a friend of mine, actually, and he got into the business of selling microwavable frozen foods within a specific niche. Now, when he was developing his operation structure for for uh, you know preparing the food, packaging it, and selling it and shipping it and everything, he looked at what company would he like to have acquire his business at some point. So he began it with sellability in mind. And he did research on things like, okay, so this company that I would like to have purchased my company at some point, what company do they use to purchase their packaging from? Uh, what machinery do they use for the process? What payment processors do they use? Uh, what shipping companies do they use? Even yes. as far as what accounting firms do they use? With the idea being that if he can get that larger acquirer's attention, who can buy him out at some point and give him that bigger payday on day of sale than he ever had running the business, to use your example, uh, they would look at it as, oh, well, they already use our same operations. This will be an easy fit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thinking ahead to who you're going to sell the business to one day, is a very good strategy. Uh, I was talking to a a group of of business owners in Manchester, England uh, this morning and uh this was actually a subject that uh, that that came up is exiting the business so if you're going to be buying businesses putting them together to create a larger business or a group of businesses then you may as well have the end in mind and what most business owners do is they think they're going to be in the same business for 20 30 years 
And when they sell that business, when they're 65 at retirement age, it's going to create enough money for them to live for the rest of their life. And that's one hell of a big gamble. That's a big Yeah. So, so we don't want to, we don't want to be that gambler. If we're going to be in business, let's stack the cards uh, in, uh, in our favor so that, uh, we buy businesses that we know that we can sell to. We have a good chance of selling to someone else. And we do this in a three to five year time frame rather than waiting 20, 25, 30 years to find out. So if you're buying businesses in, let's say, commercial cleaning, our example from earlier, uh, yeah. you spend the, the first uh, two years buying the business businesses, the next 12 months, making sure that they're fully consolidated, the same accounting system, the same IT system, maybe operating uh, more efficiently by cutting uh, overhead costs like your um, office uh, overheads, for example, just making everything more efficient, as profitable as possible. Uh, and then you spend the next year looking for a buyer and exiting the business. So in that example, you're in and out in four years. Now, yeah. It might be a life-changing amount of money. It could be in the millions of of dollars. Um, And that's really what we want to aim for, isn't it? We always want to aim for the biggest number possible. Uh, But when I ask people, you know, what they like to see their eventual exit being, they often say, oh, I want it to be $25 million, $50 million, $100 million. Well, why don't we do it in steps? Rather than trying to do that in one go, because that's quite that's quite a big task to do that. So why don't we do it where we maybe make one and a half million dollars from these first businesses that we buy and then two million dollars from those businesses and have fun doing it and do it in different sectors and keep that enthusiasm there. Uh-huh. So I meet so many business owners in their 60s who have no enthusiasm. They're, they're, all the fun has gone out of it. So let's keep the fun in business. Yeah. So I've got to ask. Uh I mentioned when I explained how so far ahead of me you are that I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be on the show with you, and it's my show, that you acquired 48 businesses during the pandemic. Yes, how? I did. Yeah. Well, how people always did ask you me, do this? Well, people always ask me, what is the best advice that you can give me about buying 48 businesses during the pandemic? And I always say the best advice I can give you is don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very very stressful, and uh, in actual fact, it landed me in hospital. Um, I bet. Uh, earlier this year, I had uh, stomach pains that wouldn't go away. I mean, I couldn't stand up straight. They lasted for days at a time. Yeah. So I went to my my doctor, uh, and my doctor said we need to get you in for a colonoscopy. And uh, yeah, that's not the not the most uh, favorite uh, procedure. Uh, anyone could uh, possibly have. But I had the colonoscopy and they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find anything wrong. And the conclusion was it was all stress. And this is stress that had been building up for for years. And then the extreme stress of doing 48 deals in a very short space of time. Buying one business can be stressful. So I've, I've got clients who are just completing on their first deal at the moment. And uh, they're, they're messaging me every day because it's like, oh, this is happening and this is happening and this is going wrong. And uh, what do I do with this? Uh, and I can sense the stress that they're feeling. And I had that in such fast succession in, in a, such a short space of time. Sometimes I was closing on two, three deals a week. And uh, yeah, it, it put me under a lot of pressure. And I consider myself a robust individual uh, however that was probably just a little bit um, a little bit too much 
Um, I know that wasn't the answer that you were expecting <laughs> to that question, uh, but um, I, I, I am a big believer in, in work-life balance. And I think it's very important to not forget that your friends and your family are important and getting good sleep and rest is important and eating well is important and taking time off is important. Uh, and I didn't do any of that uh, for uh, for way too for way too long. And I suffered as a as a result. So this is really a cautionary tale to not do what I did. And um, you can be super successful in the world of business acquisition by buying one business or two businesses or three businesses. And you can reach your business goals that way. I was operating in a sector where in um, uh, early years, uh, education uh, sector, where uh, th there were lots of small businesses. So I had to do multiple deals to get to scale. Uh, I, I would love to have just done two <laughs> and, and, and say, I've got there. But to get to the financial scale that I wanted to get to, I had to do a lot of deals. And in actual fact, the pandemic presented an opportunity because it created a, a situation that none of us have ever been in before. Um, it created a lot of doubt and fear and concern in the business community. Uh, and some businesses adapted very, very well. Uh, and, and others got a little bit caught out. They didn't adapt uh, fast enough. But what it's, it's very fair to say that lots of business owners said to themselves, why am I doing this anymore? Why do I want to be in business? And uh, I always teach people that if you're going to get a good deal, and let's face it, we all want a good deal, then we have to understand the motivations of the seller and help them reach their goal, whatever their goal is. And the goal that I was hearing again and again was, I, I just want to uh, get out of this business. I want to do it as quickly as possible. How how fast can you do a deal? A motivated we were, seller. Motivated seller, yeah. A, motiv a motivated seller. So we were doing deals that, you know, from, from very first phone call to closing the deal, a couple of weeks or three weeks. And sometimes on one occasion, it was just two days. So yeah. again, that speed put us under an awful lot of uh, pressure. I was spinning a lot of plates, juggling a lot of balls, whatever juggling analogy you want to use yeah uh, and but keeping all those things going at the at the same time and we built a big uh -huh. business uh, as a as a result but as i said it came at a came at a price oh yeah yeah so basically i'm hearing that part of the magic if you want to call it behind it was just the fact that we were in a we were in a place where there were a lot of transitions going on, not only in society, but just in how people thought. So in the corporate world, we saw things like the great resignation or the great realignment or whatever the hell you want to call that. Uh, so with entrepreneurs, it became a question of, do I really want to be in this business? Yes. Uh, I put in all these years, I put in all, the, all these six-day weeks, and maybe I just want to cash out now. And someone like you comes along and you see that their business has potential and you also see a motivated seller so your ability to facilitate that connection they walk away with they what they feel like is a, a pretty good deal in terms of cashing out and you get a bargain on acquiring that business yeah absolutely and in, in many cases we could we could write our own term sheet so it, it was it was really our decision um how much we paid and how we paid it yeah. Uh, now, I, I should also add, we actually looked at 500 businesses to find 48. So you know, we we did uh, a lot of um, off-market deal sourcing. Um, we did have some business brokers come to us, but that wasn't our primary source of deals. It was all off-market. Right. And 
uh, we, um, uh, yeah, we were just we were just closing deals, uh, yeah, every 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 week. I mean, it was it, it was incredible. It was very very exciting, um, but not always in a good way. Well, I, I I understand. Now you made the point about alignments and looking for things that are, as I would say myself, close to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. The thing you know really well. The thing you would enjoy doing. Uh, I've seen somebody else in your space. I'm not going to say the person's name. No need to bring up your competitors here. Uh, that makes the and, and they make the argument. See, I'm not even assigning gender to them. That's how vague I'm being with it. But they do make the very they do make the very key point that part of building wealth is being willing to invest in what they call boring businesses. So in addition to the businesses that you publicly see some of them associated with, uh, they also own things like laundromats and vending machines, yes. like some of the yes. some yes. of the classics where they actually pay somebody else to run it for them, or these are the types of businesses that require low maintenance. And the purpose, the reason they have them is just multiple streams of income that give yes. them leverageable and tangible sources of funding to go acquire other businesses. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's a, a, a very good approach, which is why I use commercial cleaning as an example earlier. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to be uh, e- exciting uh, new businesses. You know, the, the worst business to to buy is an app. Um, which, oh, my God. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you want to lose money, that's a, the, the fastest way to do it. Um, yeah, it, 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 these very stable businesses may not look particularly attractive on the outside but at the end of the day the business is a means to an end it, it it's a it's a way of generating income for you and your family so you can have amazing holidays so you can have the uh the house of your dream the business itself is just a methodology for getting what you want yeah yeah so for example if you want to invest in a laundromat then you have to think of it this way. Everybody needs their laundry done. Everybody needs their, their suits cleaned and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you don't want businesses that go in and out of fashion. You want, you want businesses that have been around for a while uh, and, yeah. and will continue to be around for a while. And as a general rule of thumb, you never want to buy a business that's less than five years old anyway, because you want a business that's proven itself, got through the growing pains um, and is stabilized. You also don't want to be buying a business which is dependent upon the owner, uh, because often the owner is the best salesperson for the business, uh, understands everything. They're the glue that holds it together. You take them away and the whole thing falls apart. So, yeah. Uh, so, so, so there's there's lots of different criteria that we can apply to a business to see which ones make sense uh, and which ones we should have avo- we should have avo- avoid. Right, right, right. And I, I like to make the point that um, that Al Capone uh, invested in a laundromat yeah. himself. Uh, somebody, okay. some, yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody had come to him saying that uh, they they actually came to him asking for protection because one of the, his rival gangs had been shaking them down. And uh, they asked how, and they asked him if he could help in some way. He said, "Sure, I'll buy in." And uh, so he bought a piece of the laundromat, and then from that point, he let the other guy continue to run it. And that other guy could say to all the other gangs, "Hey, meet my new business partner, Al Capone. You still want to fuck with me?" Right. And uh, and, 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 and a couple <laughs> and a couple years later, Capone 
sold out of it. He sold his interest back to the original owner. And it wasn't because of any finagling like that. He just decided he'd been in the laundromat business long enough. Another interesting thing about Capone is that uh, not long before he was put away for failing to report illegal earnings, he was beginning to get heavily involved in the very legal business of milk bottling. Okay. What, what, what is that? Putting milk in bottles. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just what uh, it sounds like then. Okay. Yeah. Ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> these, these are the days where the milkman came and brought your core to you every day. So yeah. he was getting involved in the plants to put the milk in the bottles. So again, these, I mean, for, for a guy whose primary business was bootlegging, gambling, prostitution, those sorts of things, even he had the boring businesses to create a foundation for cash flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so absolutely. So, so I always, I always advise people uh, to go for something that they understand or something that has a simple business model. Which I guess a boring business is typically going to have a simple business model, uh, and um, uh, and 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 use the 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 money that comes from that business to build the lifestyle for you and your family that you that you want to build because that's what it's that's what it's there for uh, you are not operating the business day to day yourself um there's always someone else managing it because otherwise you're buying yourself a, a job and yeah that's the exact opposite of what we want to achieve here right so now we are talking about uh reducing risk and reducing exposure and cash flow so here's one of the really big questions that not only I have, but a couple of our listeners who knew, who heard that you were going to be on our show wanted me to ask you, is it really possible to buy a business without risking your own cash? We hear about OPM, other people's money. How real is that and how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it, you've got to choose your deals. So uh, you're, you're not going to be, be able to buy any business and every business without putting some of your own money in because sometimes you need to to make the numbers work and you can't raise sufficient finance you can get maybe 80 percent of the way there and then you have to plug the gap with with your with your own money Um, however um if you don't have any money or don't have money that you want to invest in buying a business uh, then you need to be more creative and some of the best deal makers i know are the people who were forced to be creative at the start, but they just didn't have the money. So they had yeah. to think creatively. Uh, and that got them, that got them going, that got them, got them started. So yes, we can uh, buy businesses using different financing methods, quite often a combination of financing methods. And we can put together a deal that the seller is very happy with, the vendor is delighted with, you are happy with. Um, and as a result, we can buy the business. So the example that comes to mind, uh, because it happened uh, just a few days ago, is one of my uh, clients uh, has uh, just completed his first deal. And the uh, the business is a, uh, a trucking and transport business in the UK. Uh, and it turns over £7 million, so about $10 million. And in fact, I put all these numbers into, into dollars. And he paid $2 million for it. And the, the first question everyone uh, always asks is, well, where did he get $2 million from? Well, he got the first million dollars 
by um, financing the debtor book. So the people who owe money to the company, they've been sent their invoices, they haven't paid yet, and you can get an advance on those debtors. So that's how he got the first uh, million dollars. And that was given to the vendor on day one. Vendor goes off, uh, very happy uh, man. And then the balance, the other million dollars, is going to be paid over the next five years. So $200,000 a year. Now, it makes in uh, profit about one and a half million dollars a year. So that's a very easy number to pay out 200 out of the the, the one and a half. Uh, right. But the best part of the story is this. Uh, the business has lots of trucks because it's a trucking business. Um, after he took ownership, he managed to get what we call asset finance. There's lots of different types of finance, asset finance on the trucks uh, and release uh, just over $1 million in cash into the bank account. Now, let's put this in perspective. Earlier this year, as the result of a divorce, he was living in a caravan in a trailer and uh, was earning 40000 So let's turn that into dollars again, $50,000 a year as a driver. And now, just months later, he's completely transformed his life. Now, I told I told him what to do. I showed him what to do, but he did it. He he did the hard work. He he had the stress of getting the deal over the line because it, it was a very important deal to him. So that's an example of what's possible when you understand the strategies, but you also take action because it's never going to happen to you. You've always got to go out there and do it. And the people who take action with the right level of knowledge, with some confidence, can really make this happen. Okay, so if you could explain to me again or in more detail this thing about the debtor book, I'm not sure if I understood that properly. Does that mean that he, yeah. does that mean that he acquired the ability to collect on outstanding invoices? Is that what that meant? Yeah, so so he bought the entire company. So he's got everything. He's got everything that the company owns. And one of the things that the company owns are those uh, customers, those clients who haven't yet uh, paid their bills. Um, now, these are business-to-business -business clients. They will pay their bills. It's just that they have 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and they haven't yet paid. So, Oh, okay. Uh, it, okay, so they're on terms and they're not delinquent. It's just, oh, a matter, no, no, no. It's just a matter, yeah. it's just a matter that they're, they're buying something that's a sure bet. It just isn't due yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so the, the, the type of lender in that, in that situation, uh, does a credit, uh, check on the debtors, make sure that they you know, are good for it. They're going to be paying. Obviously their payment history with the company is important. Um, but they run all their, 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 their checks and then will release, uh, or a, a different way of putting it is advance you that money. So when the money comes in from those people, it goes straight back out the door uh, to the uh, to to the uh, to the lender. But you've got money in advance, and of course, then you can use that money uh, to uh, to fund sometimes in its entirety, but usually in part the acquisition. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So what I am curious about is I mentioned when we were introducing you that you acquired a 5 million pound annual revenue digital marketing company from a private equity owner for one pound. 
and then turned around and sold it for 1.3 million pounds 11 months later. And I, and I, uh, and I mentioned that basically 1.3 million to one in any currency is, <laughs> uh, is an unheard of return on investments. Yeah. So it's, it's, yes, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's probably about 1.7, 1.8 uh, million dollars. Uh, and, uh, it's it, it's the type of deal I tell people you need to know how to do so that when the opportunity comes along, you can grab it with both hands. Um, it's probably not going to be someone's first deal, to be fair, because the rule is you never buy a business that's making a loss. Uh, and uh, this business was making a loss, which is why they sold it to me for a dollar. And for a dollar. So I inherited all the problems all the liabilities. So I went through a six-month restructuring where we reduced the headcount, reduced the number of staff uh, dramatically, uh, moved to smaller offices because we had less staff. Uh, we stopped uh, undertaking a lot of the services that the company provided, the services that were making a loss. And we ended up with a smaller business, but we ended up with a far more profitable business. And all the time I was doing this, I was talking to people who might be interested in buying the business. And therefore, as soon as I'd done my work to sort it all out and clean it up and make it look more presentable, I was able to approach those parties and put together a deal with them. So you bought, so two points. A, you're able to pick it up for a pound or a dollar fifty or whatever that amounts to. I'm not real big on exchange rates because it was a money losing business that they were looking to get rid of anyway. And yeah. you bought it with the explicit intention of flipping it. Yeah, I did. Um, to be fair, it was probably the last uh, thing I wanted to do was to own this business long-term. Um, it was an opportunity. I, I was talking to someone at a dinner that I I'd been invited to. And as a result of that dinner, um, I found out about the business. I didn't even know it existed at that point. And um, uh, made some inquiries about who owned it, made an approach to them. And one thing led to another that uh, allowed me to put the deal together to uh, to buy it. Um, but yes, it was never a long-term play. Um, and this is what people often call business flipping. So you buy it and you sell it quite rapidly. Now, that's not everyone's... Um, uh, in, in Britain, we say cup of tea. It's not everyone's yeah. cup of tea. What a British expression that is. As I'm saying it to you, I realize how British that sounds. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, yeah, it's not to everyone's taste. Uh, some people prefer to own businesses for the for the long haul. Uh, but sometimes an opportunity comes along where you don't want to own it for the long haul and you want to to sell it on as quickly as possible. And that's what happened in in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I, I just have to ask, uh, you, this really was a situation where you found out this business was for sale and you said, I'll buy it for a pound. And they said, sold. Well, there was the, 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 the owner I was, was going to say the owner was a private equity firm. And these, these okay. are the, these are the tough guys and, uh, they negotiate everything. It actually took me 12 weeks to do the deal. And usually if you're buying a business for a pound and you're basically just 
everything's being signed over to you, the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, you yeah. can do that sort of deal very, very quickly indeed. But this was complex. This was very complicated. There were multiple shareholders. Um, there were actually seven companies. Uh, there was 50 percent ownership of a of a, of a business in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, so it was quite complex um, and it took a lot of uh, uh, paperwork to get uh, the deal done. And they didn't just roll over at the start and say, OK, you can have it for a dollar. Uh, it was um, uh, it, it, it's it start it started off as how much are you going to pay for this, Jonathan? Uh, and it ended up being a uh, dollar after a lot of negotiation. Yeah. Uh, OK, so that makes so that makes a lot more sense. So just the fact that there were a number of actors involved in it, essentially. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sometimes the meetings were two weeks apart. Typically, again, when you're buying a business in this sort of situation, you know, you're you're on the phone all the time. You're meeting. You, know, you can meet on, on, on Zoom face to face every day because everyone wants to get the deal done quickly. Um, they wanted to do it quickly. But in the world of private equity, uh, quickly can still be three months. <laughs> I discovered. Yeah. OK, OK. Now now I'm understanding because I really was curious about that because I'm thinking, I got a twenty dollar bill. I'm going to go buy twenty businesses today. Yeah, well, not that these, simple. <laughs> these, these opportunities uh, do come along. You got to keep your eyes open for them. The most important thing is to be prepared. So when you have this opportunity, you know what to do. Uh, you don't because um, at that point, when the opportunity comes along, it's too late to learn what to do uh, because the opportunity will have gone by the time you've learned what to do. So. This is why knowledge, education, um, getting yourself equipped with the strategies in advance of needing them is so important. Right. So you mentioned earlier that not just not just anybody can buy any business, but can anybody buy a business? Yeah, anyone can buy a business. Absolutely. Um, not everyone wants to, but everyone can yeah. buy a business. And I always think that you should have a, a business head on your shoulders. Um, I, I think that uh, even though you may not have owned a business previously, uh, I think just having an understanding uh, of, uh, of, of, of what profit actually means is very helpful. Um, I would never suggest someone goes and buys a business completely naively. You've got to know what you're doing or get people on your team who do know what they are doing. Uh, and this is what I have done uh, over the years, I've, I've I've brought in people who are better than me at everything. And if they're yeah. better at me than everything, I'm going to be OK. I, I don't want people who aren't as good as me. I don't want to I do not want to be the smartest person in the room. If I bring in people who are better than me, uh, then uh, I, I'm going to do way more than if I was doing this all by myself. Yeah, that cer certainly. Absolutely. So, you know, we're getting near near the top of our top of our time here. So uh, I know you have an invitation for our audience, and I'm going to share that on, on your behalf in just a minute here. But before we wrap up, uh, let's say somebody was thinking about the possibility of uh, acquiring a business. And one thing we haven't really discussed at all here is franchising, like buying a franchise. Is that, that isn't really something we've been talking about, but is that something that somebody should consider and if so under what circumstances 
Well, I mean, people uh, can be very successful buying franchises and and, and also become very rich owning um, you know, McDonald's franchises and and, and you know, some of these very successful ones. But uh, typically, I advise people against it because when you're buying a franchise, you're really buying part of someone else's business where you have to pay them a royalty every quarter. And you can't change the name. You can't change the prices. You can't change the advertising. You can only operate in a certain geographical area. You can't change the website. You have no control. And usually when someone owns a business, they want to make some changes to some degree, especially if you're merging it with another business or your existing business. So buying a franchise is generally a bad idea. Always going to be exceptions, but generally let's not do it. Let's stick with a business where you can own it 100% and do what you want from day one. Yeah, because I, I thought about that. And do I really want to be in somebody else's box, so to speak, where I have to live by their rules with their manuals and I have to, because really that feels to me almost like paying for a job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and a franchise is typically a sort of a halfway house between a, a job and a business where it sort of you you feel like the situation is de-risked because someone else has put together the processes and proven that they work already. Um, but uh, quite often franchisees do actually just find themselves working uh, in the business, which is not the point. Now, certainly in the world of business buying, I would say let's stick with what we know works, which is buying 100% of owner-managed businesses. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to draw that distinction. So, all right, so you have a free course, a free sample course for our listeners. And I'm going to encourage everybody to simply go to our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and find this episode if you're not already on our website. Like if you're on Spotify or Apple or Google or iHeart or something like that, find your way to our website and go look in the show notes and you will see a link to this. So uh, what we want to share is you have a free sample course and it's all about learning business acquisition. So it's buying a business for the beginners online course. So you go to dealmakers.co.uk. This is a British website forward slash. And there's a hyphen between each one of these words, buying business for beginners online course. So dealmakers.co.uk forward slash buying hyphen business hyphen four beginners. Or even even easier, uh, just go to the just go to the homepage. Just go to dealmakers.co.uk. Go to the I'm homepage and you can find it there. Aha! There it is. There it is. I see it. Uh, there's a big button right there on the left hand side. All right, cool. Yeah, and it takes you right to that page. So thank you for disambiguating that. But I encourage everybody to sign up for that. I'll probably do it myself because I live from a place of uh, perpetual natural curiosity. And with that, Jonathan J., thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor. And believe me, in education. Adam, thank you so much for inviting me on. And it's it's been wonderful to talk to you. And I hope that what I've shared uh, is useful to your listeners. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.